today is not going to be a normal Sunday. Today's really going to be put on your seatbelt type Sunday. And as I was praying over you, the neat thing about the Lord is that he gives us spiritual gifts. Well, one of the gifts that I do not have is that I don't have the ability to look into your eyes and tell where you are spiritually. In fact, the Lord has made it so that I look out and I just assume everybody's just this on-fire Christian and I should be sitting there listening to you. But I've been around the church long enough to know that's not the truth. We really know how to put some things together. If you've been in the same country as I've been the last two and a half years, it's been a little bit crazy, and I think it's going to get a little bit crazier. And I'm going to bring some perspective from really what I want to call the persecuted church, because I don't want to downplay any of our struggles whatsoever. But I want to bring a little bit of perspective, because it's in the fire of life, and I, I think some of you might give me an amen, not right away, but it's in the fires of life that I've had to go through, the things that literally almost destroyed me, things that I didn't think I would ever get up from turned out to be some of the greatest lessons in my life, the things that actually set me free. And I realized in life when we go through fires, two things happen. We either become incredibly bitter and jaded and, and cynical, or, or we allow the Lord to show us the beauty. Because I have been in war zones. I've walked through, we have walked through just tremendous amount of suffering and death. And I can tell you, even in a war zone, you can still see the hand of the Lord moving. I am with a ministry called Far Reaching Ministries. The Lord has called us as a Calvary Chapel ministry into some of the most extreme places on the planet. We're mostly known for our work in South Sudan. We've actually been written into their constitution. Um, our founder is a former Marine. He was serving in Russia when the walls first came down there, the Iron Curtain first came down. And because he was a Marine and because he was pretty highly trained as a Marine, some Calvary Chapel pastors called him and said, hey, listen, we need you to go into South Sudan and do some recon because there, there's a civil war going on and it looks like millions of people are going to be slaughtered. The vast majority of them are going to be women and children. And as a Calvary Chapel, we need to figure out how to respond. And so Wes, being the kind of guy he is, he doesn't really sit around and wait. He just says, okay, Father, this is my skill set, so I'll go. But where's South Sudan? And so he shows up in South Sudan. It was a really tough well, one month for him. He walked through some, some tremendously hard things that still he carries today. But when he was able to figure out the position of all these different uh, army factions, he was able to call in and a small plane came in. I'm summarizing the story. And that's how our ministry began. Uh, we have been serving there for now almost, uh, well, over 26 years. We have been written into their constitution. We actually are the official training arm for their chaplains. We raise up the chaplains, really Calvary Chapel pastors for a foreign ministry. You have no idea what God can do with your life if you'll just say yes, even if you don't understand it. Because we would have missed out on so much life if Wes would have been so focused on what he thought the Lord said that he didn't step back to say, okay, Father, what else do you want to do? We'll get into that in a little bit. In South Sudan, what we've been able to experience as a ministry, we don't, we don't get to get that illusion that there's good guys in the world. There are. There's some amazing people I've met all over the planet, but I've seen evil too. I've looked in the eyes of evil, and I have no doubt that evil exists because of what we've been able to see. What happened there during this civil war was that it was the Islamic North that came down, and they wanted to do one thing, and that was force Black Africa South to South uh, Sudan to literally um, submit themselves under Sharia law. But they didn't want to. They wanted to stay either as a Christian nation or as an, at least as an animist nation. And so they, they, they rose up as a very poor country, incredibly poor country, and, and they defended their country from this invasion. But unfortunately, two and a half million people were killed during the time in which we've served there. And the vast majority of those are women and children. And as I get into some of these stories, I see some young people in here. This is going to be a PG um, way that I'm going to express some of the stories to you. 
I couldn't even, I wouldn't even begin to tell you the things that I have to deal with on a day-to-day basis, the pictures, the things that I've seen, the videos that I, they, that I constantly get. There are going to be some tough words in here, and, and I'm, because there's young people, I'm going to be very careful about that. I also know, even though I look out, that some of you have some traumas in your life that you haven't dealt with, and I am not trying to push buttons at all to bring up traumas, but I want to be able to encourage all of us that no matter what suffering we have gone through, that our stories can become some of the most incredible stories of hope for a world. Because I can promise you this, people are hurting right now all over the globe. And that includes in America. I, I have never personally seen it. I have friends in the Bureau, the FBI, the CIA. I have friends in, in Congress and senators that are my friends. And, and everybody agrees that we're just at a really weird crossroads as a nation. And as a body of Christ, we have this message that we have to remember that we get to bring. Whether it's racial reconciliation or, or healing from a destroyed life or whatever that is, we have the answer, and it is in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to drive these home again from war zones. But during this time where two and a half million people were killed, it wasn't just army against army. This was literally an army that would advance on, on our town where we are right now, except for our homes would be different. We live in mud huts and grass roofs called Tuchels. Most of the men were gone, 99% of the men were gone, and they had to defend their country, which left the women, the children, and the elderly there. And when the, elder, when the enemy came in, they would, they would destroy entire villages. They would take these women and take them with them and use them as, you know what kind of slaves. They would take girls as young as six years old and, and prepare them to be slaves for, uh, for their leadership there. But what they did to other people is beyond what America can handle. They killed, again, two and a half million people. But women, they would take them, and if they weren't attractive enough, they would just to, just to put fear in this country, they would cut off their lips, their nose, their ears, their fingers, their breasts. And I can tell you something, when you, when you meet somebody that has been traumatized like that, you don't just give to give them a glass of water and say, Jesus loves you, be filled, be happy, be okay. You've got to walk with them. You've got to be so committed to compassion and the love of Jesus that you've got to walk with them as long as you, as you possibly have. Fortunately, in South Sudan, as well as northern Uganda with the Lord's Resistance Army, we don't deal with that stuff anymore, but we're still dealing with incredible war, and we're dealing with the after effects generations later because of the, just the, the untrust. And we have a brother here who understands Uganda incredibly well, and I'd get to know him because it, it's, it will give you a different perspective in life. We, uh, we are, in 1998, we became the official training arm for the SPLA to raise up those chaplains. We have raised up and deployed, trained and deployed 550 chaplains to all to frontline combat units. And because of what we do, uh, as a ministry, what makes us a little bit unique is that since, we, since our founding, we've had 72 of our chaplains already killed, the vast majority by bullet or bomb, going in to protect women and children. They've given the ultimate sacrifice to make sure that, that people could understand that there is a God who loves them and there's a God that runs into war zones, he sends people into war zones because he loves them. In the first 15 years of ministry, we had 16 of our team members die, killed, and I can tell you that, that, that that's easy just to go in one ear and out the other, but these are my brothers. It would be like if I were part of this church for many years and we had Bible studies together and we laid hands on each other and we got to know each other. And then I get another call that a dear friend of mine that you know I've done ministry with is now gone. But the last six years have been incredibly hard on us. We've actually had 56 of our team members in South Sudan die in the service of the Lord. And those numbers are going to continue to increase, including for our, our senior leadership team. We've expanded well beyond South Sudan. Uh, we are now in 36 total countries, and those numbers continue to increase. 
Uh, I serve, I'm responsible for 35 of the countries we're, we're in. Nine of the 10 in which I'm responsible for are considered the most dangerous in the world. Where most people are running from, my team is running to. And so please be praying for them. I have the most unique pastor title that you'll ever hear. My, my title is Director of Ghost Operations. That you've never heard of a pastor with that title. I'm still trying to figure out what that means. No, I'm just kidding. But I, I actually represent the invisible arm of you, the invisible arm of the church, the invisible arm of Christ to the most dangerous places. I have seven under, under, 700 underground pastors that I'm responsible for in either persecuted or, or rapidly closing countries, um, both in the Middle East as well as Europe and, and now even into South America and where we've expanded into Asia. I'm gonna, I came to give an update and things continue to be fluid. Your pastor and I have been talking for a while and originally when we talked, I thought I was going to bring one message, but the world's on fire in case you didn't know it. Uh, we heard about this little country called Afghanistan, which you don't hear about anymore. Uh, we were watching the, the pictures as the planes were pulling out and, and people out of desperation were falling to their, to their deaths. But even though I'm dealing with Ukraine and I was dealing with Afghanistan, before all that, I was actually still dealing with Syria. We're going to watch a video in about 20 minutes. I want to introduce you to one of your brothers. We, we call him Pastor Danny. It's not his real name. But I want to just give you, I just want to encourage you with a man that's been in a war zone now for almost half of his life, just, just this courage to serve Jesus. But before Afghanistan and, and Ukraine, I had 12 underground pastors in Syria. And the war broke out there. We knew that it was going to be bad. And our team got together. It was 12 ministers plus their families. So that represented a much bigger group of people. And they got together when the war first broke out and they decided, hey, listen, let's pray about this because this is going to get bad. They, they realized it from the ground. And if we need to get our families out of here, let's do that now. But let's take at least a week and pray because this is going to be an opportunity that we're going to be able to actually share our faith with our Muslim brothers and sisters who have hated us because their world is about to be turned upside down. So they actually prayed and fasted for about a week got back together, and, and Danny, who you'll be able to meet, he said, you know, I only expected a couple of men to say that they would stay. I, I fully expected everybody else to leave, and I was okay with that. I knew that that was going to be okay. But not only did the original 12 showed up, but another 13 pastors joined them. And we ended up with 25 underground pastors and their families, about 200 people, that have stayed there from the very beginning of the war. And here's the neat thing is that the gospel is going out, and thousands of people who would have never listened to the gospel before have entered into a relationship with Jesus like one man. We're sending in food. We can't send in big trucks because the, the enemy will intercept it and take it. So we're, we have to get really good at sending in little food parcels and, and money and allow them to do some exchange. One of our team members took a little small parcel of food that he had and realized that if he divided that up, he could actually bless people who are suffering and then share Jesus with them. So he actually took some of his food, and it's not enough food. And he split it up and he took it to one of the most, or one of the most powerful local imams who, whose home had actually been hit by a bomb and they were still living there. They were living in a partially just demolished home. And he took him some food. Long story short, this man, he ends up running into this imam and he gives him the food and he said, who's this from? This man knew that this man was sacrificing to give him something that he could have kept for himself. And he goes, this is from Jesus. And the imam in that moment of tenderness said, you mean Jesus is a great prophet. He invites him in. Uh, we, the, my team member shares his faith with him. He gives his life to the Lord. And a couple years later, he's now running an underground seminary in Syria. And I want to encourage you with that, is that when the world gets dark and it gets scary, sometimes it is time for us to leave, to go figure out what the Lord wants to do. We see that clearly in Scripture. 
But there's other times when the world catches on fire that God wants to use our very act of bravery and love to, to reach into a situation that these people would have never, ever listened to you on any other day. It is suffering that causes people to not really question. They may question in anger, where is God? But they'll have the conversation about God. So what I know about being in war zones is that it's, there's very few atheists in that moment. And I want to encourage you is that it does look dark right now in America, but this is not time for us to, to come together our, under our own umbrella, our own little balloon, and try to be as protected as possible. When it gets darker, we're supposed to shine our light brighter. I've been able to be in a room where it was completely black. You couldn't see anything. The sound was taken away. It was actually at a Bose manufacturing plant. And I just remember just how weird it all felt. I couldn't, I couldn't make sense of where I was because you couldn't see light. You couldn't hear where you were. And they put on this little pin light, just the smallest little light. And it was almost like the whole room lit up. And, and I want to encourage you is that is exactly what the light is supposed to do. The darker it gives, even if our brightest light is not very much, it still lights up the room. It's my drive. I'm going to get more into that too. In addition to Syria, we have been dealing with uh, Miramar, for some of you who have kept up with that. They're killing entire villages of Christians. It's not even making the news, but it is, it is an atrocity. It is one of the worst things that is happening. I have pictures on my phone of entire villages completely wiped out Christians. Uh, I have phones on, I have pictures on my phone families just piled on top of each other and set on fire. Uh, I have a picture I carry on my phone of one of the villages that my team went into. I wasn't there on this particular, I wasn't there with them on this one, but they went into a village and the only people that were left were little children. And this two-year-old boy, as was in one of our newsletters, you may have seen it, this two-year-old boy just wraps himself around his one-year-old sister because he was the only one there to protect him. And when I look at the picture, I'm reminded, that's supposed to be me. We were called to protect those that cannot protect themselves. We were called to stand in the gap. We were never called to worship our lives and think about ourselves as Christians for God so loved the world that he gave. And the greatest example that I can do, and I want to live, I want to glorify Jesus with my life. I'm not looking to die but I, I'm ready to pour myself out to make sure that my family, this world, anybody can know the love of Jesus, not just by my words. The world's tired of our words. They want to see our actions, that Jesus has so transformed us that when we speak about Jesus, that the words that come out of our mouth, they mean something, they move hearts. And fathers, I want to encourage you. It's exactly what our children want too. Our children don't want perfect parents. But they want to know that this stuff matters. And by the way that we live our life, the way that we love our wives, even the most difficult of situations, our children want to make sure that our faith is real, especially as it gets darker. Because if we can't even, if we can't stand in a firm foundation in Christ Jesus, instead of me going negative, let me go positive. The greatest thing this world needs to see is us men and us women standing on the firm foundation of Christ Jesus. And nothing shakes our faith and nothing takes our love and compassion away. I 
love being a guy. I was made to be a guy. There's everything about being a guy I love. In fact, I jokingly say, and I think you guys might laugh, I love testosterone. I wish they sold it at 7-Eleven. I would just go buy it and drink it. I just love it. I love everything about being a guy, but here's the difference. I pray by the grace of God that no matter how much testosterone goes through my body is that I will never lose compassion for those that are suffering. May I be the first one that is woken up in the morning with a heart to save those that, I, that can't save themselves. May I use the skills and the, the bravery or whatever God has given me to do something to glorify his name. And I pray that I live in such a way that I make other Christians excited to figure out whatever that is in their life to live radically crazy for Christ. Because God called me to, let's just say Syria, but he loves Mason City so much that he called you here. I want you to hear that. This was not an accident that you're here. Because God loves Ukraine and Afghanistan and Russia and, and Colombia and Venezuela and you name it. But he loves Mason City. And he loves Iowa. And he even loves that state above you too. And we need to be the light there. God, you're never going to be held accountable to do what I do. God is never going to say, why weren't you like Edward? He is going to say, what did you do with the opportunity that I gave you in Mason City for those three years to shine a light during COVID? That's what he's going to say. And what I know about God is that he's not looking out at us judgmentally. He is calling this morning to remind us of his goodness towards us and for us to take all the things that are distracting us and to cast them off and again with endurance start to go after that cross again because I can tell you something else. I've seen the condition of the church do this over the last couple of years and we should not be losing our position and authority in society. We should be rising up like a, like a candle, like a light on a hill. I do, again, want to get into Afghanistan and Ukraine, but before we do there, if you don't mind getting your Bibles, for those of you who have it, I'm going to read this. I, I always encourage you to have your Bible, but I am going to read this in a manner that if you just want to pay attention, it's okay. And then I will actually close a little bit with Afghanistan and Ukraine, and we do have a video. And as you turn to Luke chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 11. We also got called into Latin America. Uh, what happened up there, and I can't get into any of the, the, the situations, but... We just rescued 70 children in a nation. As you would imagine, in very poor countries, the cartel are not our friends. And they will go to very poor parents and they'll take their children or they'll buy them for 150, 250 US dollars. They put them into human. Something just got worse. They're now taking children and they are harvesting their organs for very wealthy Asians who want to do that. They can buy a child for $150 and sell that child to people for up to $25,000. And we won't let that happen. We just rescued 60 children. Here's the thing that just, it brings both tears to my eyes, but incredible resolve. 12 of those children are under the age of one years old. They would have been somebody's meal. And today they get to have a chance to grow up and live in a, in a very secluded orphanage that we have in hiding. And our goal is to help them raise up and should the Lord tarry, even send them to college they can, they can take their story of, I should not be here, and this is what God could do with my life. And that's what I want to encourage every one of you with your stories, is that your story isn't what it was. Your story is what Christ can do with your life. It means so much. If I had time to, to share my entire story with you, you would realize that I'm not special standing up here. I'm just a man. But I am a man who the Holy Spirit has gotten so a hold of that it has transformed my life and I will go anywhere and I will do anything that I can to glorify my king because I've tasted his richness. 
In fact, even as a Christian, as a man who, who's done some things that I think are probably good, if five minutes of my life were to play up there, even as a Christian, I'd be so embarrassed that I would never be able to show up here again. It is not about our perfection. This is about God taking a broken vessel and doing something that we could have never anticipated. And that is the very thing that God wants to do with everybody in here, whether you're eight years old or you're 88 years old. I can promise you, I stand in the congregation and I can tell you that God can take a broken man, a broken woman, and transform you and use you. Because your story means something to somebody, even if you don't believe it. Your story means something. Because there's people all over society that are just looking for God to, to go into their situation, to go into a worse situation, and to be touched. Luke chapter 19, verses 11 This is Jesus on his way to to Jerusalem. Very important. He knows that he's about to go to Jerusalem and he's going to be betrayed by his disciples speaking to right now. And he knows that he's going to die. It's going to be a very tough situation and he has the clarity of mind to say this. It's just so amazing. As I I get a little bit older, I I find my conversations being a lot more serious. Uh, They mean something. I want to be productive. I want to speak into my adult children's life in a way that is going to cause them to be even better. I just want to create fruit everywhere I go. And when I see that Jesus had the clarity of mind filled with the Holy Spirit, it inspires me. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. And as they heard these things, who the disciples? He, Jesus, proceeded to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas. So just a little bit of background. So ten servants, he gives them all about a pound of silver. That's what the interpretation is. There's other interpretations, but that's probably the most accepted one. So he gives them, he calls 10 of his servants and he gives them 10 minas and he tells them to engage in business or if your translation probably says, occupy until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered those servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had listen to this, buddy, gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because, that's a cause and effect statement, because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over more. You shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, Your mina has made five minas, and he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you. Because you are a severe man, you take what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant." You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? Why then, if you were afraid to do something with it, why didn't you just do practical and find somebody else who could do something with this? 
Body of Christ, hold on to those words, please. Why did you not put it in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 minas. And I tell you, to everyone that has, more will, that's a promise, be given. But to the one who has not, even what he has, another promise, will be taken away. Again, Jesus, on his own way to his own death, he is so clear to remind the disciples and body of Christ, remind me every single day, and I believe he's speaking over to you too, is that we were all called to occupy, to do, to glorify Jesus until he comes. As a Calvary Chapel, we actually believe that there's a second coming of Jesus. I'm not here to defend that or argue that at all. Let your pastor do that. I'm sure he is way more qualified to do that than I am. But what I do know is that the Bible tells me that there's going to be a season that you won't be able to deny that the end is near. And I believe we live in that season. I'm all over the world, and I can tell you it's never felt more like a powder keg than right now. Even in countries that used to admire the United States, they now mock us, and they, they, they just don't like us anymore. But this is what I know, that even as I see the end coming, I don't know the day or the hour, but I am called to occupy, to do, to glorify Jesus until my very last breath. I don't get to give up. I am here to glorify Jesus. And why is that? Because my life, my brief blip on this planet, it really matters to God. For God so loved the world. I already mentioned that. But Jesus said, in greater things than this shall you do. I'm, I'm a coward. I'm not a coward in most things, but in, in this particular area I am because I don't think I have an answer. Is that where Jesus turned the water into wine? Should we be turning water into wine? Again, I'm going to let your pastor deal with that. What, what about lazy, raising Lazarus, Lazarus from the dead? Is, are we supposed to be doing that? I'm too much of a coward. I've never laid hands on somebody and raised them from the dead, but I've prayed for a lot of sick. What I do know that I do know that I do know is in my capacity as a human over those two things is love. For God so loved the world that my life can be a reflection of Jesus in this generation of incredible love. Love is patient. Love is kind. And we're living in a time, in body of Christ, I'm not here to rebuke anybody, but I think we're living in a time that the enemy has flanked us and we're not even aware. These last couple of years, politically, masks, vaccinations, everything going on. It's a time where we're all confused and we're angry. I get it. I understand that. Uh, Politics matter to me too. They really do. But here's the big difference is not only am I thankful that I am an American. I am. I get this freedom to stand up here in front of you today and be as bold as I am. I get get this freedom to travel all over the world. I'm an incredibly blessed man. But here's the big difference. Although I'm an American, I'm thankful for it. The first and foremost, I am an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. I am not an ambassador just of America into Russia or or to Syria. I am an ambassador of heaven, of God Almighty in my weakness and my frailty. I am an ambassador of heaven above all things. And may I never live my life in such a way that my anger over what's going on in society ruins my ability to love my enemy body of Christ, we got to hear this. If, if my enemy walked in here today and started yelling at you about your moral beliefs and at the very end tried to persuade you to think the way that they do, would it work? Of course not. We would shut him down. 
and body of Christ, I know these masks have not been fun, but may we not slam our table, our hands on the table, and remember that we are the only representation of Jesus Christ to his enemies, and I was his enemy. If I would have, if, if it were been now, and I were 19 years old, 18 years old before Christ got a hold of me, and I came near your daughter, guys, you'd be packing your guns. But what Christ could do in my life is such a radical transformation. We got to remember that when I was his enemy, that means that I was his enemy. God said I was his enemy, and yet he still died for me. We are supposed to be loving our enemies with a relentless love that only Christ can give. Does that mean we don't speak the truth? No, love speaks the truth. Love says you're about to go off that cliff at 100 miles an hour and you're going to destroy your life utterly. Love speaks the truth that is not mamby-pamby. I think love is the most manly, if I can say that because I'm a testosterone guy, it's the most manly attribute that I can ever allow the Holy Spirit to pour out of my life. The world needs love. My, I'm, I'm publicly educated, so please forgive me on this one. So I got to do this with round numbers. I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but I'm going through mid-age crisis. <clears throat> Um, if I get 100 years, um, uh, let me start here. If I get 100 years, and, and you might think I'm being melodramatic, but if I get 100 years, in fact, it is here. If I get 100 years and I only have, let's say, 40 years left, what I realize is that the way that I live my life and that little blip of time that has already existed in the mind of Christ, what that does is somehow going to impact my eternity. This little sliver of time that you have been given is somehow going to impact all of your eternity. There is no do-over to this life. And eternity goes out that wall and around the earth and it comes back and it just keeps going. There is no end. And if I'm only going to get that much time, I don't know when my last breath is, but I want to glorify Jesus because somehow his love matters so much in my life, but somehow my life matters and it's my obedience. It's a it was an uncomfortable conversation when I heard Wes, uh, who's our founder and one of my dearest friends in the world, the guy who found our ministry. I remember hearing him about 15 years ago at a pastor's conference say this, and, and it bothered me. And because it bothered me, it doesn't mean that it wasn't true, and I had to wrestle with the Lord. But I remember him saying, you know, Jesus said that uh, I'm going to go away, and uh, I'm going to a place, and there's many mansions, if you remember that. But he doesn't say all mansions, what Wes said. He goes, I wonder how many believers are going to make it into heaven but what their gift is going to be is a one-bedroom flat or, a, or share an apartment with somebody else. I know it sounds a little bit corny. I know what it does, and it used to just really bother me. But I understand what you're saying. I've been given a gift of God that I cannot earn. But because of that, that radical love that God poured into me, my natural response should be to pour myself out to that great king in the way that I live for this world. The way that I give, that I live, that I love, that I invest in people that can never help me out somehow means so much to the Lord that it's going to impact my eternity. And body of Christ, it's going to impact yours too. We're going to watch that video, and I'm getting a little bit behind. I didn't wear my watch today, and, and he's sitting in front of the clock. Thank you. Don't move. Because I think I can take about four hours. You guys don't start till six. <laughs> so don't move. No, I'm just kidding. I see this lady right there going, no, he better not. I promise. I'll let the kids get out of here. I want to spend a couple minutes um, before we get into a video on Afghanistan, because nobody's paying much attention to it right now. Afghanistan was a worst-case scenario for Christians. We were there for 20 years, and it fell in 10 days. And we had a bunch of people on the ground. We actually had uh, 22 ministry workers plus their families. So when Afghanistan exploded, we had uh, over 200 people that we had to deal with immediately. 
so we were actually working because really God has just connected us with the military community because of what we do. We have Christian brothers and sisters all over the globe willing to help us. We're just so blessed. Plus within the FBI and CIA, within the intelligence community. So we're really, really blessed. But as you were watching those videos, it was a different perspective for us because we were trying to get as many of our underground missionaries to that airport as possible. Because we knew that the Taliban, they, had a long, they played the long game all along. We were there for 20 years, but they knew we wouldn't stay. And when we pulled out, they had been making a list, whether it was that generation or the next generation, of families that helped the United States or Christians or spoke against the Taliban. And when we went out, they came hard. What you saw on the, uh, on the news was only a small percentage. If any of you remember when that one day when uh, at the uh, airport base when there was suicide bombs and the Marines that got killed, those very Marines were actually helping us look for our people in a sea of hundreds of thousands of people to try to get them to safety. And so men lost their life trying to save brothers and sisters for you guys that are part of our, our church over there. And so our hearts go out to that. I have pictures of what happened to their bodies that is... It's just, it's just heartbreaking for us to even have to deal with when I know what happened because they were out there looking for our people with signs. There, were, there still are hundreds of Americans and, and thousands of uh, those that we call SIVs. You don't have to worry about that. Those are the Afghanistans who helped out America during the 20 years, and they made it on the blacklist for the Taliban. Uh, they have been going around, and uh, they've been hunting them down. We have a few of them in safe houses. We have so far been able to get out 600 people out of Afghanistan, all legally, too, instead of crossing across borders and making their life worse. We did everything we can to work within an underground community to get them passports and, and uh, visas into other countries. It's been a very, very hard process, but we just know we have to do this right. But out of the families, the Christian families that we knew were there, we started getting calls, and we ended up with a 3,000 Christians that are hiding in Afghanistan and hunted by the Taliban. We've been getting calls from Ann Graham Lotz, from Heather Mercer, from former CIA agents that are Christians, and it's just been a crazy time. Please be praying for us because it is an incredibly difficult time, and the countries that we have been dealing with to relocate the rest of the Christians, they're so focused on Ukraine now that they, they, they just basically a year and so we've got we're trying to move people from safe house to safe house in the in the hundreds i can't get into too many numbers so please be praying and i'll get more into that in a little bit but the human suffering has just been immense and so is the hand of god one story about uh about afghanistan because my team is dropping in there including west for those of you who know him 65 years old but he takes it seriously and we drop with a couple seats and a couple forced recons into the mountains of Afghanistan. We went into some of the toughest road terrain and we launched drones and we were trying to look for what we call red lines. We wanted to be able to get more, more people out of that country safely, but also a lot of people were getting out saying, we don't give up on Afghanistan, so we're also looking for a pass to get them back in after things calmed down a little bit because we've got to make sure the gospel continues in Afghanistan. But as uh, we were there, very tough situation, dropped up to like... 11,000 feet. I had another team at about 14,000 feet. Incredible altitude sickness. And it was a pretty amazing thing, uh, experience for them. They came pretty close to the Taliban several times, 50 yards, 100 yards, 150 yards. And it was a very interesting experience. Um, but when we got done with the first trip there, Wes happened to be with uh, some of our Marines and we ended up in another country. And we ran into a family. They were a Muslim family. It was a mother, and her, it was a, a young mom and her mother, and then her, the young mom's three children. And I have pictures on my phone of this too, and 
and one of my Marines was there and he just happened to grab some pictures and you can, when I put the story together, you won't see the pictures, but this mother, young mother starts to tell my team through an interpreter that's sitting there. Brother, her husband was the Taliban. He was a, a very evil man. In fact, he was in prison and the Taliban got him out and because of he was such an evil man, he, he raised up through the ranks of the Taliban and he showed up at their house one day and he took his own brother and I have pictures of this. The way that he tortured and killed him, I have never seen such brutality and I'm in war zones. It is one of the most heinous things. I can't understand how an enemy would do that to a man, let alone your own biological brother. I just don't understand it. But the young children had to observe that. And to make things worse, then he ends up violating the mother in front of the family. And a few hours later, he ends up taking the youngest daughter and violates her in front of the family. And they had to live with us, and they, they escaped. We, had, we ran into them. They probably hadn't changed their clothes in about seven weeks. They hadn't had many good meals. They had no place to go because this country they went into, they were Muslim and also from Afghanistan, and they were treated like scum, except for our church. Our church took them in. And we were able to hear that story and buy them some clothes and were taking care of them. Uh, she told us the story that this Taliban man had called her and said, I know where your 28 family members are, and if you, don't bring, if you don't come back, I will gather them all up and we will kill them. And as she was saying that, my Marine friend just happened to be taking a picture, and he just kept pressing the button. A old girl who had observed all this, she heard her mom, you just see the picture. She looks at her, and then tears just rush down her face because she realized her mom was saying, we have to go back to that evil. And Wes, through an interpreter, says, Miss, you can't do that. I know this is a hard decision, but your greatest priority are your daughters, your children, your two daughters and your son right now. And we will put them through college. We'll do anything we can, but you can't go. Today, she has now given her heart to Jesus, and they're involved in our local church. And those things are happening by the thousands. I want to encourage you is when the world is suffering, we don't get to walk in fear. We get to look for the opportunity to glorify Jesus. But we have to be prepared for those moments. Ukraine, whew, we're going to watch this video, but uh, Ukraine is a very tough situation. It is unfolding. I can't get into too many details because it's active. And, uh, and just because I'm paranoid doesn't mean it's not true, but we know we're, we're monitored constantly, so I have to be very careful with my words. One of our team members, 60 years old, um, Valentina, I can say her name because it's all okay. She has a heart to feed the poor. That's all she wants to do. She's Ukrainian. Before the war broke out, again, part of our team, and we would send her in her food, and her greatest joy was to take food to very poor people, especially widows and both men and women or, or families where the husband had died and there was no opportunity and they were struggling. Well, when the war broke out, she took some of her food to some of the Ukrainian young soldiers that just became soldiers, didn't even know how to really use guns yet. <laughs> And I'm not here to get into the politics of this. I got a really ugly email the other day from somebody, you know, and it broke my heart because they wanted to play the politics. I'm not here for the politics. I can't change governments. Only God can. I'm not here to say that I'm all happy with the Ukraine government. But what I am going to tell you is that it doesn't matter about the politics. It matters about the people. God does not save politics. He saves people. And I will go anywhere that people are suffering, even if their government is just completely corrupt and crazy, because people need Jesus. Back. So she was feeding some uh, young military guys, and she was surrounded by a group of Russian soldiers rushed in on her, put a black back on her, a black a back a black bag over her head, and then she was gone. We literally thought she was dead because she was missing for about a month. We thought they'd put a bullet in her head, but she just showed up. So we're really excited to say that. 
But what were the stories that are coming out of that place, I can tell you this, what civilians are experiencing is traumatization that is going to change Europe as long as we're alive. Uh, in another country, I have team members, Calvary Chapel Ministries and Calvary Chapel Church Plants, and they already have 30,000 people, 32,000 people they're trying to deal with. In his one-bedroom flat, he has 32 families, including this one 20-year-old girl, 21-year-old girl. She was up in Kiev. She walked out to watch the military come in, and all her neighbors that she grew up with put them down and just started executing them in front of them. And she has been crying for weeks. She can't talk. She's catatonic. The only things that come out of her are tears. And what we know is she needs to be healed by Jesus, and we're committed. My team, my team are just absolutely amazing. They're putting in 20-hour days right now, barely being able to sleep because of the trauma that's coming out so much. I want to watch this video, introduce you to Danny, then I'll be able to come up here and close. But I want to, I want to read a, a verse that becomes my life verse because I believe that the Lord put this on my life and I wake up every morning and I recite this verse because it has to motivate me. When you're in war zones, I can promise you, body of Christ, you get tired. You want it to end. But as long as it doesn't end, I don't get to give up because God takes no joy in those that shrink back. In Proverbs 24, I'm going to personalize this. It doesn't say it in the word, but I personalized it. Edward, if you falter in a time of trouble, how small is your strength? Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those slaughtering toward, or staggering towards the slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart not perceive it? Does not he who guards your life not know it? Edward, will he not repay everyone according to what they have and what they have not done? Let's watch this video. When the war starts, many problems happen, and it's so difficult to continue the ministry. And uh, we know some someday uh, the problems is come inside our homes, not just in our city or in our area. Uh, that time I speak to the leaders, and uh, we met together, and I said, as in Acts book, the believers when they have the persecuted most of them they go out of Jerusalem. If you want now to go out of your area or out of Syria to save your families, this is good if God gave you this to do. But uh, we, we must to know maybe one day the problems come to our families and to our life. And maybe we will lost our life one day. You know, when I left the room and after time I turned back to see the decision of the leaders, I found 25 people. They stand there and they said, we will not leave, we will continue to serve God here in this area and we will continue the ministry. If we are die, we will go to Jesus. And if we leave here, we will be with Jesus. And you know, but they asked me something to do. They said, if one of our team die, you know we are non-Christian background and no one will take care about our body if we killed or something happened to us. Uh, what we can do if this happened? For that, we buy this land, 
and we built a graveyard. This graveyard for if anyone killed from our team, we can put him there. This is the first building of our ministry. I think it's first uh, happened in Raqqa city in Syria. They give the chance for the uh, Christian. They said to him, if you leave your Christianity now, you can be uh, hold your life, or if not, we will kill you. This this decision is, you, you know, it's must to, to, to take it directly. And most of the uh, Christians said, no, we are ready to die for Jesus. And for that, they, uh, you, you can see many uh, pictures about the Christian, they put them in the cross. And when they put them, many times they put in the uh, area, all the people can see them. To learn the people, if you will be Christian, this is your what will happen to you. Uh, and uh, most of the people, I thank God for these uh, heroes in the faith. They die for Jesus and they put them in the cross. You remember when I told you about the stories about the man who uh, was his son and uh, they bring them and they ask them to leave uh, them faith in Jesus Christ. But the father said no and the son said no. And they ask the father, if you don't uh, come to Islam now, we will, we will kill your son in front of your, your eyes. And after that, they cut the head of the son and they start to play football in his head, front of his father's eyes. This is something incredible. You cannot understand what's happened. But through all this bad news, you can see the hope is growing between this uh, uh, difficult and uh, bad people. You know, Sometimes many people ask me why, why you continue in the ministry in Syria, especially in this time in the war. The important things for, uh, for our life to be in God willing. This is our call from God to, uh, to do the ministry in Syria. When we are inside the, the God willing, that means we are in the safe place. But if we are go out of God willing and go out of Syria, that means we are in the dangerous place. Maybe I, I can go like to Lebanon, to Jordan, to US, to, to anywhere and continue my life there. But that means I am go out of God willing. That means I am in dangerous. The important things in our life, not to be alive, but to be with Jesus willing. But if I am in, inside the dangerous, but in God willing, that means I am in the safe place. This is my belief and I trust in Jesus. He will keep my life and when he wants me to go to him, I am ready to do this. I wish everybody would have a chance to meet Danny. I just love that guy. When I got to spend uh, time with him just a little while ago um, in an undisclosed location, he's just so filled with joy. 
And you know what he told me? He goes, when you get a chance to talk to the body of Christ, let them know. Just give them the good news. Is that out of our 22 leaders is that that graveyard is still empty. That's what they rejoice for. Is that they can continue to advance the gospel. I work around complete heroes of the faith. I can't help when I... It happens to me all the time. It just puts this urgency in me and not desperation. I don't want to sound that way, but there's this urgency in me. I can't help but do it because I have three grown children and I have a granddaughter now. And I can't help but thinking, what if I were born in the wrong country? What if I were born in Syria or Afghanistan or even Ukraine right now? What if, like this true story, and I know there's young people in here, trust me, this is a very, this is a very cleaned up version of what we have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. Your prayers are coveted. But what if like one man that we're helping right now, this happened to me, I'm in Ukraine, or excuse me, Afghanistan, and they tied me to a chair and they brought in my wife and my two daughters. And what about in front of me, if I could do nothing about it, they violate my wife and my daughters with a whole group of men time and time again. And what happens that after they're done with that, they decide that they're just going to kill my wife and daughter and leave me tied to a chair for 11 days while their bodies decompose. What would I do? I'd cry out. We are praying that we can be the answer to somebody's desperate prayer anywhere in the world to go bring the love of Jesus to those that feel that there is no hope left because love hopes all things. What if you're the prayer? You're not even aware, but there's somebody in here crying out because of loneliness or because they're addicted to some substance and they don't know how to break free. What, what, what's happening in our society? What if you're the answer to someone's prayer? I'm just praying this morning that Although we have to live our lives for ourselves and our family, I do pray that we will start to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit again because I think more people, even though it doesn't seem like it, they are wishing that there is a God who can bring some, some, reasonable, some reasonableness to what's going on in society again, and you're the ones that have the answer. There is a tremendous amount of racial problems in our country right now, but this is what I'm used to. The Bible tells me that in heaven one day, it's going to be people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group, and every denomination. I threw that in there, but I don't think I'm in trouble for that. And I want to remind us is that the church has the answer to every problem that the world has, including racial division, because we are the one group of people when the spirit comes in with us, and I've experienced this all over the planet. I don't care what color skin, how short, how tall, how old, or anything. When we have the same spirit, we come together. It's almost like being family. And that is the most amazing thing that we have. We are a healing, we heal nations. I pray we'll never forget that. I didn't get to talk to your pastor. I was going to put this off, but I just sense his heart. He has such a big heart. I'm here selfishly. I'm here to encourage you because I want you guys in the battle, but I'm also here to build a relationship with your pastor and his wife. Why? Because they're the next generation people, and should the Lord tarry, at some point I'm going to get too old to do this. I'm in the gym all the time. I eat incredibly healthy. I monitor my blood. I'm, I'm looking at my oxygen. I'm doing all that. I have to because I go into very dangerous places. I don't, I don't get to be sick where I go. But I do realize that no matter what I do to take care of myself, at some point I just can't do this anymore should the Lord tarry. And, and, and all these young people in here, we have to hand the baton over to them. So I am here to engage your church, to get you excited about your community, but also hopefully one or two of you will be able to go short term, serve somewhere in the world to bring the love of Jesus through good teaching or through some trauma care, whatever that is. Uh, and I'm going to say this next thing because I know what happens. I'm a pastor. I've been one for about 13 years. I still don't know what that means. I was a business guy. 
I knew that Jesus had called me to, I was a VP for a $9 billion company. I knew I was called to the boardroom because there's a lot of people that are very successful in society that will not come to a church because they don't think they have a need, but the world will catch on fire. And that's where my full-time job was until the Lord called me here. So I, I don't know how to be a pastor yet, but I, you know, I'm, I'm, hopefully one day your, te- your pastor can teach me. I'm just a really, really straight shooter. I, uh, at 19 years old, I showed up at Horizon in San Diego. It's going to be a little embarrassing. <clears throat> I showed up at Horizon in San Diego, and I was so naive. I didn't want to get close to Pastor Mike McIntosh because I was so afraid that he was so spiritual that if he got near me, he could read my mind. And I was too embarrassed about that because where I came from was before my life had been transformed. Then I realized over time that Mike, like your pastor and me, were just men. And I also thought this too. I don't know why. I went to work, but I I went to work because I had to take care of my family, but about church, I had this attitude. It's like, oh, there's got to be a tree out back. If God guides, God provides. And, and I realized that there's no tree. Pastor, is there a tree? You found the tree where that money just grows on you? Yeah, it's not there. And I'm not trying to be silly because we don't talk about money from the pulpit. We just don't. But I'm a business guy. I didn't ask for permission, and I'm not looking at your pastor right now. But what I don't want you to do today, because I know you're going to be moved, is to take whatever you would tie to this church and, and, and reallocate that to us. Because this church needs to be in a good place so that we can get a new building. We can take care of children. Personally, I believe the best thing that the church can do today, people who want to be serious about serving Jesus, it's going to shake more and more. And I think the greatest thing that we can have is have a war, uh, a, a war fund that when the next emergency happens, we have a million put away or 10 million put away that we can literally pick up everybody in this church and drop them somewhere and bring the love of Jesus. I just think that's 21st century evangelism. It doesn't work going down the beach like when I was 18. I used to be able to go down the beach on Friday night and win people to Jesus. Now I'll just get beat up. It, the world's changed. And we have to make sure that we're looking for new opportunities to serve Jesus. So if you do want to get involved in us, hear my integrity on this one. I don't want anything from you. Your pastor gave me something today, and I didn't get to say this yet, and maybe he'll take it back. But I didn't come here for anything. I came here with because I wanted to live my integrity. We wanted to buy our own flight. I, I want to take your pastor out to lunch. Why? Because I want to be able to encourage you with the very messages that are happening on the front lines of other countries to remind the body of Christ our identity in Christ as America gets tougher and tougher. I'm here because this is my country. And if the body of Christ isn't fighting the spiritual battle here, when I eventually have to come back, I won't have a home to come home to. And I'm praying that you'll be motivated to stand up. If you are interested, I would be pleased. I would, I would ask you to support one of these guys. Everything goes to it. We don't take a penny out of it, 100%. We're being a pass-through. We're paying every administrative cost because the war across the world is important. This is ghost operations, which I'm responsible for. I have about 300 additional workers, women, men, families that I need to get sponsored. If you are interested, take one of these off the table back there. Hear my heart, though. Don't just take it and walk away because we don't have enough staff. We run very thin because we, don't, we want the money going to the work. We put about 8 to $12 million into the field each year, and we want it to. I have 10 U.S. staff taking care of literally hundreds of thousands of people that we take care of across the world. But for cheaper than America, for about two to $500 a month, we can take care of an entire family, whether that's in Syria or it's in Afghanistan or whatever. If you are interested, there's a form back there. Just let me know who you're going to support because sometimes we don't know and they disappear and then we don't know they're not being taken care of because, well, we have too many people we're supporting. Alternatively, Wes asked me to bring these. I love his heart. Undefiled religion is this, caring for widows and orphans in their need. I have some, we're still caring about Russia. 
I've been to Russia a lot. I'll never be able to go back again, but we take care of hundreds and hundreds of people attached to the Calvary chapels there. Their pension is $75 a month. That's not enough to buy heating stuff for them. I've been to so many homes where they don't even actually have any food at all, and we're able to take care of all those people that are going to our church, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a really an example in the community, and we have more and more old people showing up at church because they realize there's food there, then they get to meet Jesus, and their life is transformed. It's just a beautiful story. Our children in Uganda, even though the war has changed a lot, there's still a lot of suffering. We have Christ's crucible in Masindi, and we take care of 700 children. We're putting them through uh, education. We have a beautiful compound. We're going to send them to college. We're doing all that. Whatever your family can do, I'm not asking you to support the whole amount. It could be $5. It could be 500 That doesn't matter. Don't put yourself into a situation that is going to be hard on you. But if the body of Christ will rise and lift a little bit, we can change the world. I consider it an honor to be up here, and, and I, I know I was more monotone than anything, but I felt like the Lord said, just talk to them today. Be like their friend at lunch. Don't be some professional speaker, which I'm not. I speak a lot, but I don't want to be a professional speaker because that's the last thing we need is more professionals. We need people that are so turned on for Jesus and so incompetent to get the work done that they have to cling on to Christ every day. And by the time they get to the end of the day, they get to, tell, they get to call all their friends and tell them about how God still shows up. And I am praying that God will show up in this church. And if there is another revival before we're called home, I believe that it's going to come out of a small group of people who start to take their faith seriously, rise up, ignore the news, and go love on this world because they're hurting. Pastor?